I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. Before social media took off, celebrities and influential individuals really only had one avenue with which to communicate with the public, and that was traditional print or online media. But with the rise of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, the dynamic of that relationship changed. Whereas previously the media had the upper hand and had the power to control the narrative, it's now the case that an individual can communicate their own perspective on a story quickly and easily. Brand saw this balance of power shifting too, and a few years ago started to invest money into bloggers and YouTubers and other content creators, effectively helping to create the world of influencer celebrities that we now live in. Along with declining circulations, many marketers saw this as the end for traditional media. But it's not really played out like that. And the power of third-party endorsement that the media provides, in combination with social media users being wise enough to see through celebrity posts, means that the balance has yet to settle. Someone who understands the psychology of celebrity PR and influence better than most is my guest today, Max Dundas. Max is the owner of Dundas Communications, which represents talent including Billy Piper, Derma O'Leary and Paddy McGuinness, as well as lots of household brands. Max says he stumbled into the world of public relations after leaving university with a pretty terrible degree and no real clue what he wanted to do. He got a job at Freud Communications, literally making the tea and collating and faxing press cuttings, a job that turned into an 11-year career. I fell in love with, as much with the discipline, with the agency. It was impossibly glamorous. It was incredibly hardworking. I, I still think, uh, not that I've got any experience anywhere else, but from, you know, again, anecdotally, it's it's a tough place to kind of grow up and, and to learn the industry. We're pushed very, very, very hard to work exceptionally hard for, for the brands. I would deem at the time quite kind of glamorous brands like PepsiCo and Mars and Disney and you know, I, I, as I say, I love the place as much as I love the job, but I quickly realized that I, I enjoyed communicating with people. I enjoyed meeting journalists. I enjoyed understanding that industry as well. And I, I really kind of got my teeth stuck into it. Max says that he became adept at PRing himself within the agency and made it his business to have a direct relationship with the leaders from early on. The first campaign he was given to run was for Oral B. I've basically based my entire career on this one bit of coverage, but I, man- I managed to get a toothbrush on the cover of Sunday Times Star. And and that was the moment that I just got such a thrill from how excited the client was and, and how excited the agency was about a, a brand getting such exposure in, in a place that they had never been before. And, and, uh, and we spun this story about which is, you know, I, th- I think has kind of now come to fruition with, with sort of, you know, dental hygiene being the new frontier for beauty and, and how important it was in Hollywood. After 11 years, Max made the decision to leave Freud's because he really wanted to get into personal representation. Rather than getting a pat on the head for running a good campaign for a brand, he wanted to start to make a difference to people and says that nowadays, if the company does well for a person, it potentially changes their life. 
He wanted a more emotional connection with what he was doing. And people and telling stories about people was the core of what he loved about the industry. The basic thing with celebrity PR, I find, is that it's uh, everyone wants what they haven't got, right? So you've got people coming in who are enormously famous and want, want protection and want less exposure and want protection around their private life, etc. Then you have people who are not famous enough, want to be way more famous, more exposure, you know, more stories, more, uh, you know, more photography, more stuff out there. And then you have digital first influencers who want to be in the mainstream. They want to be on the cover of Cosmo and they want to be on This Morning and they want to be in the sun. And then you've got people who are really massive TV presenters who want to be much more working in a digital sphere. You know, everyone is kind of, you know, often is, is, is a shift to another direction. And, th- and then you have people who want to be cooler or want to be smarter or, you know, want to be seen as that. So, um, yeah, so image shift is something that we do a lot of. There's a, there's a lot of lot of occasions where people are like, well, you're really pretty, so that's your thing. You're a model. Like, don't try and sing. Don't don't be an actor. Like, don't don't care about the environment. Don't do anything else. Like, you've just got to stick in your lane. And that's that's something that we work on a lot as well, of just kind of bringing out a more three-dimensional uh, version of someone in, in consumers' eyes or the media's eyes. With celebrities and influencers having become such big news in the last 10 years, I was interested in how the balance of power has changed between celebrities and the media. I asked Max what he's observed of that evolution. I've been doing this for 22 years. So when I, when I started doing it, you got a piece in the sun, that was it. And whether that was a good bit or a terrible bit, that was your bit. That Everyone knew about it. Everyone was talking about it. It wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that the media, as in traditional media, newspapers, magazines, TV, radio, were in charge of telling the story on behalf of the celebrity. Yeah. So they had a massive level of power over the talent. It was up to the media whether they liked someone or didn't like someone, and that was then translated to it was up to you know whether the country liked that person or didn't like them. And that has changed. Uh, you know that has shifted because w- with the emergence of social media, because suddenly anyone, and that's me, you, or you know whoever, uh, you know someone on TV has got a voice in the room whereas they didn't have that voice before, where they can kind of go, oh, hang on a second, even though you read that, that's not true, because I'll give you a different version of it. Yeah. And and that is where the kind of the power dynamic, I guess, has shifted away from media towards the personality. But that's not to say, and, and you know, that, that, that sort of implies that there's a diminished amount of, um, you know, power with the traditional media. I, you know, I still think that there is a huge part to play by newspapers, by magazines, and and that's because, you know, truth and and trust really is is at the core of the message, right? And that's been the that's been the case all the way through. Yeah. In in other words, if I say I'm really handsome and really brilliant, and God, I'm a good actor, you know, on social, you know, pe- people see through that, and and you know, social medias and uh, social media users and, you know, the general public, they're just like, yeah, whatever, that, that's, that's advertising. And it doesn't um, cut through in the way that a piece in vogue with a, you know, picture of my ugly mug saying, isn't this man handsome? That is going to cut through in a much purer way because, you know, you trust Vogue. It's a third party endorsement. And, and that's something, you know, that's the part that the media have to play and that PR professionals 
you know, still have uh, that role to play in in using the media and working with the media to pr- to project different stories to what someone's just saying through their social media. With the people you work with, do they, in a general sense, do they understand the the third party endorsement thing, or does it take a bit of education with them? Or I mean, does it vary? It really varies. Some people are absolutely terrified of of journalists and uh, and don't know how to play the game and want to keep them at arm's length and are worried that they're, you know, they're just to expose stuff that they don't want to talk about. And, you know, of course they feel, you know, much safer. I mean, traditionally on Instagram, right? I mean, you must have this all the time where people are just like, Oh, I I understand Insta. And so I'm just going to use that. And no one's going to say anything mean to me. And, and and I'm just going to sit on there and uh, put out whatever I, I, you know, I'll just do this campaign on there and that, that will be fine. The problem with that is, you know, you're, you're talking to an echo chamber, aren't you? Because you're just talking to people who are going to go, Oh my God, that's amazing. You've done this campaign. Like so brilliant. La 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 that. And, and then lo and behold that, you know, that person then goes, well, that, that was a success, wasn't it? Because, you know, 7,000 people liked it and there was all this engagement. Everyone did love hearts all over it and said it was brilliant, yeah. but it's not cutting through in the way that a, um, you know, again, a kind of third party editorial piece would do. And, and it's, and it's just hitting the same, you know, your, your fan base basically. And it's not mm. cutting through to people that don't care about you might have never heard of you. And ultimately, you know, a, a brand, although, you know, in some cases will want that fan base is going to predominantly want a, you know, a wider demographic to um, uh, be exposed to the campaign. So, you know, I I, th- I think the the dream, isn't it, is to have a really really good social campaign and really good editorial and the right celebrity and and also maybe the right influencers as, as well on the back of it. You know, it might not just be one talent; it should be it should be several hitting several different audiences. And I guess if if you talk about things from a brand point of view, from brand marketing, you're right in that. I think most brands now understand that the people who follow them on social media, all right, they're their fans, but they want campaigns, they want messages, they need messages to go far beyond that. You need both to do the job or if you're even if you're talking purely social media, you need uh, an ad budget to go alongside that in order to reach new audiences. Yeah. So I think from a from a brand perspective, that that seems well understood. Yeah, I think so. But but of course, there's, you know, there are exceptions. There are some, some talent that play some people that play uh, traditional media very, very well and you know understand what a journalist needs understands how to sit down and do an interview and manipulate it into the place where the message is the one that they're trying to get across and not even manipulate it but understands what the newspaper needs from that which is if you sit down and do you know 45 minutes on a pair of trainers that's you know that's not it's not only probably not going to make it in the newspaper but it's the person that reading it isn't going to be bothered because it just feels like advertising yeah and and so you know, I, I think the people that really get it un, understand intrinsically what the newspaper needs, but also what the person who's picking up the newspaper to read it wants to read as well. And that isn't just about a trainer. But if you do talk about, you know, in, in the case of a footballer or whatever, if if you're talking about your new pair of Nike football boots, but at the same time talking about the match and talking about tactics and talking about your other teammates and talking about the next, you know, the match next match ahead. That is something you want to read about. And by reading about that and being drawn in by that, and then 
then hearing about the trainer, you're much more likely to go out and buy the trainer, I would argue, because because it's been seeded in a subtle, yes, absolutely. good way rather than shoved down your throat via social media post or, or, or you know, a, 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 a mishandled interview, which means that you're just like, oh, I'm, I'm put off with it. Kind of what we're talking around here is this sort of balance, I suppose, between the credibility of, of the press, of the media, yeah, and the power that celebrities have because there's no doubting that big celebrities have big power, big reach to, to convey messages. You know, if, if the media talks about something, then there is that credibility. As long as there's a credible outlet, obviously there is that third party credibility that goes along with it. Whereas a personality may have fantastic reach through their social followings, but any viewpoint they have, they have is not going to be seen as independently trusted. So that there's a balance there for any sort of campaign where you, you kind of need both. Yeah, you kind of need both, and and that's what I say. I th- you know I, I think I think the best campaigns, you know, I, I think even if you're even if you start off with a with a social media campaign and, and a you know so called influencer campaign or whatever, the goal's got to be for that campaign to become famous, right? The goal the goal has got to be for that campaign to live outside of just social media because if it's if it does really really well and uh it's really exciting and really interesting and and everyone's interested in it then it's it's you know it's an argument to say that it's the job of traditional media to pick up on that and kind of go look at what's happening over here isn't that exciting isn't it a great bit of content yeah so uh, you know I, I think you know there's there's a there's a lot of talk isn't there and, and you know it's widely known print is really suffering in in numbers yeah and so there's a lot of, well, certainly amongst my clients or people that are not in the industry, let's say, kind of go, well, that, you know, this, don't worry about a tabloid newspaper because, you know, they're, they're done and dusted in, you know, a couple of years. It's absolute nonsense. I mean, I, I don't think I've, in the 22 years I've been doing this, that, you know, the sun, for example, is more powerful than it's ever, ever been. I mean, uh, you know, there's, it's all over TikTok. It's all over Snapchat. It's all over every single, you know, people are still getting their news from there. It's more powerful than it's uh, than it's ever been in the time that I've been doing this in terms of just pure numbers and engagement. And it's still doing an incredibly good job getting readers, getting eyeballs onto the stories that it wants to put out there. And it's obviously investing a lot doing that, both internationally and, and here. To, to kind of go, oh, we're just going to ha- do one discipline and not the other doesn't ring true. Basically, yeah. if the story's good, if the content's good, it should have ambition to go across all, you know, multi-disciplines, multi-channels, and there's no reason why a, a, you know, a really good digital campaign isn't working across, you know, more traditional news, even if it's just, a, a, you know, their portal through social media. One area that has specific relevance when it comes to how brands and personalities work together is that surrounding advertising regulations. The Advertising Standards Authority seems to become more active when it comes to cracking down on influencers not following the rules. And yet to most people, the ASA appears to be pretty toothless. Influencers get a slap on the wrist and then just carry on as before without any repercussions. But how do the personalities feel about it? Are they scared of the ASA? The ASA, in my experience, seem to use PR is their their kind of that that's the sort of consequence of breaching the guidelines. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in in my eyes, I, I agree with the toothless comment. In my eyes, they kind of go, let's let's clamp down on the people with the biggest numbers, publicize that, and hopefully that will make everyone 
shit themselves yeah. and, and not do it. So, so in answer to your original question, yeah, they are a bit scared of them because they don't really want negative press. So it's a reputational damage as opposed to anything more serious like financial, for example. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's not wanting a piece in the mail online as a sort of bit of clickbait. And it, it, com- it comes back to the trust word again, because I think the moment that you have a widely publicized thing saying, well, this person uh, has been fibbing to you on social media, I think that puts a dent in the ability to have a trusting relationship with your followers. But do you, do you think that is a lasting impact? Because, I, again, this is just my impression. I can see that as a bit of short-term damage where, yes, some people might care that I didn't identify something as an ad, for example. But is that really lasting damage and from enough people to actually have any any impact whatsoever? No, I, I to- I'm totally agreeing with you. I don't think it has lasting damage. I, th- I think, yes... So, so in answer to your original question, I think yes, people feel like oh, I, you know, I'd rather not have the ASA breathing down my neck and and putting a press release out saying that I'm, you know, that I've basically been flogging some makeup that actually I was paid to flog, yeah. and and therefore denting that trust that I have with my followers. But I don't think it's a lot. Exactly to your point, I don't think it. I think it's a temporary kind of inconvenience. I, I and by the way, I really. I believe in a lot of what the ASA is saying. I think it should be transparent. Yes, I think it should be absolutely. You know, I I think they're they're on a noble quest, and it's you know, it, you don't want it to be the fucking wild west out yeah. there, and everyone's just you know making stuff up and being paid by companies. I th- I think it's absolutely fair and good that that it, there should be a a way that you are demonstrating so that people understand when it's been gifted or paid for or whatever the the arrangement is, but. Ultimately, the ASA come in and ultimately ends up in a press release. Yeah, and exactly. So, so yeah, I think they're pretty toothless, and and I think that's a shame. Yeah. But talent and influence, I guess, as I say, would rather not have it. And yes, they are a bit nervous and scared of it. And I think you know the responsible ones also agree with what the ASA are saying and do adhere to it. Mm. Sometimes they slip up. You know, we had one. We had one. <laughs> One example of a, of a very big influencer that we um, we don't look after now, but we did some consultation for, you know, very you know one of the really really big ones and and uh, very famous. And she had something they'd gone through something like ninety thousand posts in which she'd adhered to the ASA regulations, and in two, she had not. <laughs> right. Okay. And so that was the reason that they put her forward on a list of people that had been warned by the ASA and put that out to the Mail Online. That seems. Well, for one of a you know cleverer phrase, horseshit. Again, it's it's trying to make an example of someone, isn't it? Because because yeah, exactly. they've got a big profile, then then we'll come down on them. Yeah, exactly. And in the hope that everyone else kind of follows. Yeah, them. and I mean in that example, those those two posts. Am I right in thinking that was just uh, an oversight? Or yeah, no, I think it was something. I think it was something that they changed, uh, and, and I'd need to look back at my notes. But it was something along the lines of, you know, you know, you have to put ad at the beginning yes. of a thing, and you used to be able to put ad at the yes, end of that's it. That's right. And before the rules had changed, she had put them at the end of a, quite a long post, so you had to kind of scroll down it as three, four paragraphs. And they took umbrage to that, but her argument was, well, without, the rules weren't changed at that point, yeah. but it didn't matter. And she still disclosed them as ads anyway. Oh yes, she absolutely had. Yeah, she absolutely had. But she just put it at the end, and 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 it was, you know, you'd you'd have to scroll down three or four paragraphs to get to the ad bit. Over the last five or ten years, celebrity itself has evolved. As influencers came to the fore, 
and then micro-influencers, and then nano-influencers, the environment altered. I asked Max how he'd seen that balance change in his client base, and whether he'd noticed changes in the way celebrity is viewed. I think everyone's a celebrity now, aren't they? I mean, everyone has a platform now. You know, there's an argument to say everyone is a celebrity. You know, Mm. I've got a terrible social media number whatever it is but still <laughs> still thousand people yeah you know still two thousand people whatever. it's still you know there's still it, it's very easy to build up a, a a sort of small following so so i think i think that the kind of term celebrity has been massively diluted yeah um and that is a byproduct of social media for sure and, and then then you've got the kind of debate around is social media showing showing people too much? You know, if you mm. kind of is the celebrity of old, you wouldn't have known anything apart from what again you're being fed by traditional media. Now you sort of feel like you know everything from what they're eating to where they went on holiday. Yeah, yeah. And does that diminish your interest in a celebrity because you're just like, well, they're just like me? I think that perhaps the opposite is true. Is that it means that you are it's creating bigger interest. Right. So I don't think I, I think celebrities are still incredibly powerful, if not more so. And I, and I think that opening the door a little bit, because let's remember that still that social media is still curated. And, you know, there's there's still a million things that are not happening that you're not seeing that are happening that you're not seeing. Rather, I, I think that by opening the door a little bit, I think that that is only brought on more interest, more fascination more love for people that are arguably kind of you know more beautiful and richer but still sort of just like you and me supposedly anyway let's define a celebrity right as just just for the purposes of this as someone in the public eye as in terms of i don't know musician actor tv presenter that sort of person yeah and then you've got your influencers which might be purely sort of social media personalities yeah how has the former group responded to the latter group? With with the people that you work with specifically, do they see them differently? Do they feel more pressure as a result of someone who's got a big YouTube following? No, I th- I, th- I think they they don't. They, there's no sort of oh, I'm on the A list, you're on the B list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think there's any kind of snooty handbags at dawn. <laughs> you're, you're not as famous as me, mate. Piss off. I don't think that. Happened. <laughs> I mean, I wish it did. It sounds funny, but. But I, I, I think what did start to happen is, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, we, we rep people like Mrs. Hinch and Zoella and people like yeah. them. So, so digital first talent. I, I think what started to happen was, you know, celebrities of yore, the, the kind of pre-digital celebrities started to recognize that there were this group of people over there that had huge audiences, were attracting huge amount of uh, commercial interest from brands. And weren't necessarily attracting the un, unwanted attention of paparazzi, right? You know, of of sort of of, of tabloid stories, but still were seeming to kind of exist in this separate celebrity dimension where they were getting all the good stuff. So they had lots of fans, and they had lots of money coming in, and lots of commercial deals, and you know, were producing great content that they were in control of, but weren't on the front page of the Sun. Yeah. So I think there was a, there was a kind of a sort of peek over the fence at that and kind of going, all oh, right, well, I want a bit of that because they seem to have a lot of control and making a lot of money. 
and don't have a, some of the downside, that seems like a really nice bit of pie that I'd also like, please. So as I said near the beginning, I think, I think a lot of them started to go, well, I don't even like social media or understand it, but I now recognize that I've sort of got to do it as part of being a famous person. It's now part of the kind of blueprint of, well, if I don't do this, I'm a dinosaur and my fan base is going to drop and I've, I've, you know, I can't just be on TV anymore. It's got, to, you know, it's got to be this. So I, th- I think there was a kind of jealous peak over the fence, as I say, and kind of going, there's, you know, there's something over there that's happening that I don't really understand, but I'm going to get people around me that do understand it and I, yeah. and I want a bit of it. And uh, I think largely the two worlds have kind of merged in that you have got, you know, figures like Zoe, Sug, and, you know, the likes who did start to become very famous, who did start to become interesting to traditional media. By the way, traditional media also in the beginning, in in my view, were very scared of influencers. In, in what way? Because they, they threatened their livelihoods? Yeah, again, again, it was kind of like, we don't really know what that is, but they seem to be doing very well. And the advertiser that was advertising with us has now just put all their money over there. Yep. And that's frightening because that means we're not making as much money, which inevitably means we're not going to be able to hire as many people. Yep. And w- we need to catch up and i think it's only really now i mean as in as in the last two years or so that they've managed to even get into the arena i think i think that i think traditional media has been quite slow in uh, understanding i think they dismissed it for a long time right and and i think they i think they're now kind of catching up and and some of them doing incredibly well and you know obviously the kind of maybe the mail online was the start of that of just you know of sort of traditional media going or well, we can have our own player in that market which is p- purely digital but is going to smash all records and you know be the biggest thing ever and i think once that started to become the success it obviously is i think uh, that opened the gateway for other traditional news outlets to go we need to be we need to be in this arena at least yeah and that, and that's why you know that's why i think as i said you know a lot of the newspapers are now all over every single, you know, platform that there is. And, and rightly so. Why, why shouldn't they be when, you know, the Ukraine war, for example, when there's a, when there's a sort of devastating, massive news moment, I know that, you know, certainly I, I, I wouldn't go on social media to find, you know, and, and lo and behold, there's lots of fake news all over social media. And that's been a big story recently, right. Of just fake videos and fake films of, of stuff that hasn't even happened or happened years ago, or is not relevant to this story. You know, I go on BBC or, or I go on the sun or I go yeah. on, you know, I'd go, I'd go to a kind of reputable news organization, even if I'm con- even if I'm accessing that through, through social media, I'd still go there or, or, you know, or a website rather than kind of, checking out what's happening on Twitter. Would, would you agree with that? Do you agree? Oh, I totally agree with you. Absolutely. I mean, it, you, the Ukraine war, as an example, Yeah. with me, this started with, with COVID two years ago, where I put a, a link to the, the BBC homepage on my home screen of my mobile phone. So I can access it quickly and get an update on, in that case, the COVID situation. And I, it's still there to this day because I'm now checking it for the updates on Ukraine. Yeah. And there's so much news. Right? There's so much like COVID and Ukraine or parallels, I think, in that. Or maybe this is just me, but there's so much information coming out of, of that situation mm. that, you know, I almost need it distilled. You know, we're all very, very, you know, busy people. And, and but I want to know. I want to be informed. I want to I, I, I want the information. 
and it's hard to kind of cut through the amount of uh, information that's coming out in a way that you can trust. And so, you know, that's where traditional media has such a strong role to play and uh, always has done and always will do. Anyway, we've kind of gone off topic. I don't know. No, no, talking. not at all. It, it's, it's interesting. We're supposed to be because... talking about Kate Garraway, not the war in Ukraine. <laughs> well, what's interesting to me on this specific subject is that maybe we'll talk about this in a minute, but the Will Smith situation at the Oscars the other day, Yeah. even on social media over the last, 24 hours i've seen a lot of rubbish written about that yeah yeah, yeah. it's stuff that when you when you 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 know you get a glance at it and you think oh that that must be true but then when you source check it or you try and find more information turns out to be absolute absolute rubbish yeah i mean i i I literally uh, you know i came into the office on monday morning and i just said to my team i was like guys imagine being you know will smith's publicist <laughs> yeah you've got a jolly night in la at the oscars it's like oh great you know everything's kind of fine hopefully he's gonna win la 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 you know and you've suddenly got every single news organization calling you i mean within within sort of 10 seconds it, mm. you know the the amount of work that his team must be still going through is just utterly phenomenal yeah you know again I, let, let, let's kind of get back on track like i think it's interesting to talk about what what happened as in what you know obviously that is a very well polished pr and agent machine a multi million dollar business as in will smith you know yes. now oscar winner you know phenomenon absolutely you know phenomenal in the music industry and, and you know and whatever you know 20 30 year career incredible Sitting at an awards ceremony, there, you know, there's so many issues around what happened, but, you know, his ability to be able to get up on stage and physically, you know, hit someone and, and then kind of sit down, then then you kind of get the weepy apology on stage, but but not to Chris Rock. And then you get him partying at, um, you know, various parties and kind of doing his routine and being Will Smith again. Everything mm. sort of, you know, you know tr- obviously sort of trying to kind of go, it's all fine, it's all fine. Yeah. But then, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours later, you get the social media moment from Will Smith, which is kind of going, actually, I'm, I'm really, really sorry now. And I think that's, that's what I'm trying to get to with the kind of the, the trust thing of, of consumers of social media or, or just, just anyone, man on the street, and, and that word trust again. Because when you look at how he actually felt, on that night, he was really, really upset and really offended on behalf of his wife. And you can yes. see that. And he didn't give a damn about Chris Rock. And he, nope. and he he didn't want to apologize. And he certainly didn't apologize 20 minutes later. He certainly didn't apologize an hour later. He went out and he partied. Yeah. So to then apologize, you know, you, you sort of everyone, you know, consumers, I think, are very savvy about publicists and, and agents now. They know that he's now been hauled into an office. And there's been, you know, 20 people kind of going, we need to protect this multi-billion dollar brand. So you need to apologize now, even if you don't want to. But do you think, I mean, do you generally think that was the, not not that he didn't want to apologize? Because my, my read on this is, I agree with what you said. If, if it had been me sat there with my wife and yeah. someone had made that joke about her, I would have been fucking fuming as well. Yeah. Now, I, I would not have calmly walked on stage and hit someone but then you know i'm british and i'd have sat there fuming and composing an email in my head yes and then apologized but you know that was a very calculated thing because there were let's say 10 seconds between the joke yes and actually hitting it wasn't you know that was that was 
a bit unnerving in itself. But yeah, yeah. aside from that, I understand, I sympathise actually with him in that situation. I would not have wanted to apologise either <laughs> to Chris Rock that evening. Now, the next day, he had no choice but to apologise. I mean, no. that that was coming, <laughs> that was just coming. But is it, do you, I mean, from, from the dealings you've had, not with him, obviously, but with others, is it a case of them being advised, no, you must apologise? Or do you think there's a genuine sense of, I really shouldn't have done that? Look, the question you have to, and look, we, we can debate it and argue it or, or till the cows come home. The question is this, is he really sorry that he defended his wife in that moment? Or is he really trying to not lose his Oscar? <laughs> yeah, okay. That's Fair my enough. question. And look, I, who you knows? It's, it's more of a sort of it's a human story rather than a PR thing or whatever. But it's just it, that that's the question I ask myself: is like, yeah, of course he should apologize. Absolutely, it's the right thing yes. to do. But what what's the reason behind that apology? Is he really is he really wanting to say, Chris Rock, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Or is he really saying? Because the story quickly went on to the Academy is is uh, is going to take away his Oscar. And, you know, and, and so, again, you go into kind of crisis mode then and go, well, how do we stop that from happening? Yeah. And, you know, that's that's where, where that apology came from in, in my eyes. But that, that's the kind of that's the debate. And I think that's what, um, again, coming back to what we were talking about before about, you know, trust and, and uh, you know, I, I think people's people are savvy enough to see through and see the context of what people are posting and they question it. And just because someone says something on social media, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily the truth. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that it should be taken on board and trusted. And I think, uh, I, I think people on social media and people generally see through that. And, and that's why I think, again, coming back to social media versus, um, you know, third party endorsement, it, you know, third party endorsement wins every time for me, I think. Do, do you have many situations where you deal with crises like this i mean obviously this is a major one jesus paul like i mean literally every weekend really well it's me being a dramatic old pr again. <laughs> not, not every like like every weekend there is there is something i mean we have you know we have a lot of clients and a lot of them are very famous and and we have uh, brands as well and there is always something on the weekends, right. pretty much. Either that I'm dealing with or certainly that the team is dealing with. Yeah, It's funny how it's always weekends as well. <laughs> I remember from my agency days, if anything ever was going to happen, it was a Friday night at four o'clock. <laughs> That's when the yeah. shit hit the fan. <laughs> of course. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's 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 from the days of, you know, uh, look, the, the Sundays have got a job to do uh, uh, and uh, of sort of taking the, the the week's news and and not replicating it or or you know putting a different spin on it, but also coming out with something that's going to dictate the next week's agenda. Yeah. And for in a celebrity uh, perspective, that is you know that that is the day where, on the whole, the kind of the more salacious stuff comes out. So like you, if I get through a Friday afternoon without a call then it's going to be an all right weekend or certainly Saturday morning. <laughs> uh, you know, if I've got to Saturday lunch, it's usually, yeah, high-fiving with the kids. And like, we've, we've, we've got this one off, guys. We're going to be okay. But it's it's rare. There's there's always something. And look, that for whatever reason, even the kind of most tabloidy tabloid, they check in, right? And that's a really, that's a really important part of the publicist tabloid relationship is that they they will call us. And that and that is that is already a vital part of 
the relationship that we have with with the media in that it doesn't we don't just get sprung with a story that's just like oh sorry we didn't tell you it's on the front page you know we'll know about it and and then we'll be able to have a conversation about it i do not agree with agencies that go if the sun and the mirror calls we're not picking up the phone it's like what that that's not doing a good service to your client at all because if that happens and you, you know you're not picking up the phone then they've made contact and they'll just run it. Mm. And then you've not had a chance to discuss it with the journalist, put a perspective through, uh, you know, on, on the other side and kind of work with them on getting the story into a place of truth yeah. rather than gossip. And, 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 you know, most of the time the story will come through and it's sort of, there's elements of truth in it, like any, like anything, but it's, you know, there's a lot of gray areas and, and I know that they would rather publish the truth always than just make something up that turns out to be completely inaccurate. You know, they have a duty to their readers and they, and they live and die by that. And, and social media plays a big part in that as well, because we often kind of go, well, look, if, if that is what you're printing and you're not prepared to tone that down or change it or, or, or listen to our side of it, we'll put our side across on social media. That's what will happen. The moment that you publish, we'll come out and say, well, this is our version of it and it's different. And and I don't think, you know, that certainly is a power shift towards towards talent. But it's not it's not even a power shift. It's just a, towards getting it right. And I think a, a kind of good publicist with a good relationship with with the media should be able to get that story into a place where, you know, not everyone's happy with it. But at least it's the it's the right story and it's a good story and it's and it's accurate and true. Big thanks to Max for his time for this episode. To find out more, look him up on LinkedIn. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.